Have you ever audited a class? Do you know the concept of auditing? You show up for the class, and yet you don't get credit for the class. Uh, I've audited a class before, and it's awesome. I mean, you don't have to do the work. In fact, if you don't want to show up, you don't have to show up. You can even show up and not listen. I know some of you do that for credit courses too. But you can show up and not listen. I don't have to take notes if I don't want to. And I certainly don't have to take the test. It's a lot different than when you take a real class. Real classes are hard. You have to actually do the work, struggle through the work, do the homework, and take the test. But when you audit, everything is optional. Some of you, and I don't know who, but some of you here this morning are auditing Christianity. You've showed up, going through the motions of worship, you're singing some of the songs, maybe you'll um, listen to the sermon politely, but you have the mentality of an auditor. And when you have the mentality of an auditor, everything is optional. You're here this morning, but it was optional. Giving, optional. Fellowship, optional. (laughs) Obedience, optional. Discipleship is optional. And I think there there are at least two ways, probably many ways, as you can tell, if you have the mentality of an auditor. So I'm going to jump right in. Here's Here's the mentality of an auditor. Number one. Number one is you listen to the word, but you don't do it. You're like, it's like you're auditing a class. You take the assignment and you hear it, but follow through is optional. Another way you can tell if you're an auditor is when trials and temptations come your way, you easily give up and give in. It's like you start to take a test, (laughs) but it's too hard, so you you quit. And when a trial comes your way, since you're auditing Christianity, you quit. You give up, and you give in. It's fine to audit classes. It's not fine to audit Christianity. Following Jesus is not like an optional possibility for those who call themselves Christians. And so if you find yourself in a season of coasting and drifting in your relationship with the Lord, and and I'm not dogging you if that's you. I'm not dogging you. I'm here to encourage you and help you, to show you that you don't want to live that way. I mean, if you're auditing Christianity, let's just kind of make an agreement right now. It's beautiful outside. You're wasting your time. If you're not into this Jesus person who died and and rose for you and wants to be Lord, if you're just kind of going through the motions, you're wasting your time. It's pretty outside. Let's go do something outside. Don't waste your time in here. My prayer for you is if you're sick and tired of that kind of life of coasting and drifting and kind of going through the motions, my prayer for you is that you will say, ha, following Jesus as Lord and not going through the motions is what it's all about. And that's the direction that the book of James is going to encourage us this morning. So if you want to go ahead and turn back to the book of James, this is where we were last week. If you're new, we just started James last week. You're not far behind. We're still in James chapter 1. If you can't find it, look at the table of contents, look on the person next to you. Last week we saw 
that problems are providential for your progress. That means that God brings stuff into your life, trials, sometimes he allows sufferings to happen to you so that you can grow. He wants you to grow and mature. But James knows, and what we're going to see this morning, is that those same trials can function as a temptation. When the pressure is on in the trial, you can be tempted to sin. My oldest daughter and I uh, watch uh, a TV show together. I don't think maybe hardly anybody in here watches it. It's okay. It's called Cedar Cove. It's on Netflix in case you want to check it out. But the main character is, uh, one of the main characters is a guy who is a recovering alcoholic. And when he faces the pressure at work, a deadline to write an article, he is tempted to turn back to the bottle. He's tempted to go back to drinking. So the trial comes, he's tempted to revert back to his old ways. Now, in Christian terms, we would say this, that the same event that can test your faith can also be a source of temptation. The same circumstance that can come your way, that can propel you forward, could also launch you backwards. The same exact event can have both effects where you can grow, you can move forward, you can mature, or the same event can just launch you backwards. James knows this, and that's why he's writing to this church to make sure that in their trial, they go forward and not backwards. And so the main emphasis today, though it's kind of wordy, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, is that in the midst of trials and temptations, James wants you to look to the goodness of God and his word. He wants you to fight your auditing heart. I want you to really pay attention to look into the goodness of God and looking to his word in the midst of trials. That's where we're going this morning. James is pretty hard-hitting. I'm going to carry his tone. I'm not mad at you. I love you. So here we go. Let's start with James chapter 1, verse 13, with an error. Here is an error that we can fall into if we're not careful. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Is that you when the pressure's on, you're tempted? Have you ever said, I am being tempted by God? No. That's, that's, not, that's not possible. That's not the case. Because God may have brought the trial into your life for your growth, but he did not bring in this temptation. So do not confuse matters. God does not mingle with sin, and he does not throw sinful temptations into your heart to stir you up to sin. Let me, let me share something uh, kind of funny to you, with you that I was reading about this man, he was on a diet and he was struggling. If you've been on a diet, you know, you know how it can be hard. Well, this guy, he was on a diet and he had to go ta- downtown. Uh, and as he started to go downtown, he remembered that his route would take him by a donut shop. And he thought on his way there that a donut and coffee, uh, that would really hit the spot. But then he's like, oh man, I'm on a diet. Oh, sh- I should not do that. I'm on a diet. And, then, and so, you know, he's, he's spiritual, you know, like us. He prayed. God, if you want me to get a coffee and a donut, let there be a parking space right in front of the donut shop. So he's, this is what he said. He said, he's like, I'm driving down there, and sure enough, 
there was a parking spot right in front of the donut shop on the seventh time around the block. <laughs> you, see, you see the concept, right? God is not a source of your temptation. So if God's not the source of the temptation, you're like, well, where does that come from? Oh, well, let James tell you. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 13 and 14 is gold. That's like counseling. That's counseling books. Verse 13 and 14 is showing your heart. It's saying that when you're feeling tempted... Don't point your finger at God and think that God is making you sin. Don't point your finger and say, oh, it's Satan. Satan, you made me sin. It's your fault. Don't point the finger at your family of origins. Don't point the finger at your mom issues or your dad issues. Don't point the finger at people in church or your environment. It's being very clear that it's on you. And James wants you to understand what's going on in your heart. This is why I say these verses are gold. It's it's such a description of what's going on when we're tempted and we want to give in to sin. It's something called the temptation sequence. We all experience it. It's the temptation sequence where we move from deception to desire to disobedience to death. You see it in the garden with our first parents, Adam and Eve. You can see it traced throughout the Bible, this deception, desire, disobedience, and death. And I want to kind of just walk you through it because I'm going to walk you through my heart and your heart when we give into sin. Let's just kind of walk through this real quick. First is deception. This is the lie. Out in this world is a variety of lies trying to deceive you. Let's just take a prevalent example of pornography, okay? Let's just, we're, we're, we're big people here. We can talk about this. Uh, the lie out in the world is that, hey, it's a natural instinct of humans, and it's natural to be curious and want to enjoy it. What's the big deal? So the lies floating around in the world. And that brings us to the next phase of desire, and I would call this the buy-in phase. The buy-in phase is when something is happening in your heart. James describes it as the person being lured and enticed by his own desire. For those of you who like fishing, it, it kind of sounds like fishing language that lures one in to get them to bite so they can be dragged away. When you find this buy-in phase happening in your heart, uh, you start to only see the things that look good. You don't see the harm of participating in the sin. So basically you see the bait and not the hook. Or like a mouse, you see the cheese but not the trap. It starts to happen when you buy into the lie and you say, you know what, porn is kind of natural and it's okay to enjoy it. I mean, if it's just me and the computer, what's the harm? Okay, so the desire, it's conceived, then it eventually gives birth to sin. This is disobedience. This is the acting it out phase. This is the looking at pornography or any other sin. The temptation is in you. You're working your way through the sequence, and you finally have acted it out. And once this is acted it out, then it can lead to the last phase, and that is death. And here you have the consequences. The Bible teaches that sin leads to death. 
physical and spiritual death of separation from God. And that's the ultimate consequence of those without redemption of Christ. But even as believers, there are consequences of participating in sin. You can have the the sin of bondage, uh, of guilt, uh, of the results of shame, and of a host of other problems. And, and you see what James is doing. He's saying, look, pay attention to this. Don't blame God. Look and see what's going on in this sequence. And he wants, this is what he wants you to do. He wants you to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. So if you find yourselves in certain vulnerable situations, maybe late at night, uh, maybe uh, over the holidays, pay attention to what your heart is paying attention to. See what's going on inside so that you can find yourself fighting against the sin and finding a way out. So as you start to work through the sequence, you can escape before you get to the acting it out and the consequence part. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. See what's going on inside your heart. But what I like about James, and I want to make sure you know this because I know some of you have gone to church uh, your whole life. What I like about James, he doesn't just say, don't sin. (laughs) Don't look at pornography. Don't be greedy. Don't get drunk. He doesn't just say that. He wants to give you some motivation. Do not think you come to church and we just throw morals your way with no grace-filled motivation. He wants to give you some motivation. And the way he's going to motivate you, he's going to say, you know what? Let me tell you why you shouldn't sin. It has to do with God. God is really good. And I hope you came to church this morning because you wanted to hear about God. And so what James is going to do, he's going to say, let me give you God because I want to tell you about his love, which can motivate your obedience, his love, which can motivate your holiness, his love, which can motivate your endurance and staying pure and holy and walking with him. Now watch what James does in giving you the goodness of God. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived that the trial that has come from God is trying to make you sin. Not the case. God is not out to get you. Should I pause and say that again? God is not out to get you. I know some of you think that God's out to get you and make you fall into sin. Mm, That's not God. He doesn't do that. Look at God. This is what God, this is God right here. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the source of every good gift and every perfect gift. And even though he is the father of lights who created the sun and the moon, which shows variation and shadows due to their shifting, God does not shift or change. He is always good to you. God is never a source of your temptation, ever. He is always good to you, not a source of your temptation. And the greatest example of his goodness is seen in the gospel in verse 18. Yes, the gospel is in the book of James. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Those who believe were brought forth, that is, they were born again, by the word of truth, that's the gospel, so that they might be the first fruits, like the first crop of believers with more to come. And today, you're going to see a portion of that crop of believers. Today, you're going to have on display this gospel of God's goodness. We have four people today who are going to be baptized. 
And two of them are going to give their testimonies to you this morning. They already gave in the first service. We'll have two more in this service. And what has happened in their lives is that they were brought forth, they were born again, by the word of the truth, by the gospel. This means they're minding their own business in their life, and they have heard the gospel that God loves them, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sins, be buried and raised again. And the good news is that they can be reconciled to God through repentance and faith in Jesus. Now, when they're hearing that message, the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts, and somehow, some way, in a supernatural way, they are born again. They brought forth by hearing the gospel, the word of truth. And that good news is for everyone in here, that if you repent and believe in Jesus, you can be saved and reconciled to God, and that could be the greatest thing that ever happens in your life. That's the point that James is getting at. In your trials, God is not tempting you because he's good, and he gives you good gifts. In fact, he has saved you in the gospel. God is not against you. He is for you. Trials are meant for your progress. But if you see them as a source of temptation to give into, then you'll move backwards. That's not the intent of the trial. So James wants us to look at God and his goodness, specifically in the gospel. But James also wants us to look to the word of God. And this is going to get really good here. Look at the goodness of God in the gospel. He also wants us to look at the word of God. So let's go ahead and move on to verse 19 and really get in your business. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. James is starting to hit on speech, what you do with your tongue. He's going to spend uh, a significant portion of time in chapter 3 talking about your words. But he's getting the ball rolling. In fact, look what he says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So if you claim to be a Christian and you don't deal with your words, you're not a Christian. I'm putting that bluntly. If you say that you're a Christian and you're not dealing with your speech, you're not a Christian. In fact, James says, uh, your religion is worthless. And one of the ways that this church here was using their words to hurt other people was through their anger. Now, I know know some of you are um, angry people. You you wake up angry. Uh, You're angry when you go to bed. And you're just... Uh, angry all the time. That's not most of you. Most of you express anger when you're under a trial or you're being pressed. And that's what's going on here in this church. They're, They're under trials and they're expressing anger toward one another. And that's often what what trials do. Trials can tempt you to explode. When you're pressed, you may explode and angry. Uh, Maybe you have a, you ever just kind of just go off on your spouse or yell at your kids, get angry with your friends or a driver or your parents or maybe someone in church. It's like this, this water bottle here. Um, if I take this water bottle and shake it like crazy, uh, I'm bringing some 
tension and pressure on it, and water is going to go everywhere. I'm not going to do it. Water's going to go everywhere. And if I ask you, why is water going everywhere? And you'll say, it's because you're shaking it. And then I'll say, well, maybe it's because the top wasn't on. So if I shake it with the top on, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to be contained. And so I ask you, when life is shaking you, and I say, why are you so mad? And you say, well, my kids are shaking me. My roommate is driving me nuts. I'm not getting my way. The reason why I'm so angry is because this is what is happening to me. I'm someone shaking me. And I say, well, maybe you just blew your top. And you say, no, 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 I would not have blown my top if someone wasn't shaking me. I would not, I would not get angry if someone was not messing with me. But that's life, right? Someone's always going to mess with you. Once your kids stop messing with you, your roommate stops messing with you, someone else will start messing with you. My brothers and sisters, when the top's on, life can shake you all at once. And I think what James is getting at, he's saying when you're facing these trials and when you're tempted to explode in anger, rather than erupt and explode, use these trials to teach you to listen. When the trial comes and someone's in your face, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's encouraging us to pull back and listen and to not erupt in anger. In fact, there is a certain life that James is advocating here. He's trying to cultivate through his words it's, it's kind of summarized in verse 21. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I like this, this put away. It's kind of similar to the put off language of the Bible. Put off your old sinful ways like you would throw away dirty clothes. Put away filthiness, rampant wickedness. Hey, put off anger. Kick out lust. Get rid of greed. Get rid of these things but also put something in their place. And what James says to put in their place, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. When you take God's word in, it starts doing a work on your heart. It starts kicking out sin and walking in his ways. Our church is in the midst of a 40-day scripture memory project called Hidden Within. We're not trying to make you memorize the word so you can win a contest. It's, that's not what it's about. We want God's word to go inside of us so it can start to transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And as the word is active within you, the implanted word, it changes us. You see, there is a way that you can tell if you're auditing Christianity are you allowing God's word to have full reign in your life to deal with issues like anger, lust, greed? Are you hearing the word and letting it be implanted in your soul where you can act on it? Or are you hearing the word right now 
but you're just an auditor. You think that hearing it is good enough, but you don't plan to act on it. You're auditing Christianity. And James brings that force in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How could you be deceiving yourself? Because you think that hearing it is good enough. Some of you may think, I show up to church, that's good enough. No. And then he gives an illustration. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Most of you, before you came to church today, looked in a mirror. If you didn't, we can tell. Maybe you fixed your hair and prepped your face. Then most of you went away and you didn't think much about your parents, which is totally fine. But what's not fine is treating the Word of God in the same way, where you get into the Word and God is revealing issues in your life, and you see them, but then you go away and you don't do anything about them. That's not good. It's like looking in a mirror after you've had a healthy lunch today of a salad, and you look in the mirror, big honking piece of lettuce in your teeth. And you're like, ah, I don't care. And you go out throughout the rest of the afternoon, you have a conversation with people, and they're looking at you all funny because you have a huge piece of lettuce. They may tell you, dude, you got a big piece of lettuce. You're like, I don't care. I don't care. You wouldn't do that. So why would you get into the Word? It reveals stuff in your life, like anger, and you're like, nah, doesn't matter. It, it kind of looks good on me, right? Why would you do that? That's the mentality of an auditor. Read it, do nothing about it. Hear it, do nothing about it. God wants you to have freedom. And the only way you're going to have freedom is by hearing and obeying the word and living in his blessings. And that's the way we finish up with verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What a great way to refer to the word, the law of liberty. The word of God doesn't put you under restraint. You may think, man, why can't, why can't we have sex before we get married? Why can't we just gamble all the time? Why can't we get drunk? Why can't we just go out and party? Oh, the word of God. You feel like, oh, it's just putting us under restraint. It's not putting you under restraint. It's trying to help you to walk into freedom. I mean, if you see a fish on the water and he's swimming around, he has the restraints of the water. He's not going, man, I wish I could be on land. No. There's his freedom and these restraints. And it's a law of liberty. And when we hear it and obey it, it opens up this life of blessing as we persevere by his grace. Yes, we're not perfect. We persevere by his grace. And there's freedom in obeying the word. I want to show you something. It's a statement that many of you may have uh, heard growing up in church, or maybe you, you have expressed this sentiment. And I want to read this to you twice, and I want you to internally think of what's wrong with it. Here we go. Let me put this up. People in church say this. 
I just need to be willing to obey God's word, particularly when it calls me to do something radical in my life or culture. I just need to be willing. I'm going to read that again. I just need to be willing to obey God's word, particularly when it calls me to do something radical in my life or culture. I just need to be willing. Now think about that. That sentiment sounds good, but there's something wrong with it. Let me read you something that uh, a great author and former pastor David Platt has said. He says this. Don't be willing to obey the word. Obey the word. Don't be willing to help the poor. Help the poor. Don't be willing to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Don't be willing to live in purity. Live in purity. Hear the word. Obey the word. This is crazy. This is simple, right? Why would you want to be here just hearing this and writing and taking notes and then not want to do anything about it? Hear the word. Obey the word. We don't want to be auditors. In fact, most of you, I would say almost everybody in here, you're not auditing your life. There's no way you even function like that. For those of you Northwestern, you, you're, you're at school to take four credit classes to get a for real degree, right? You're not auditing your classes. And for those of you who have jobs, you're not showing up, I don't think, and playing solitaire all day, right? You're doing the job. I mean, can you imagine as, as parents, we wake up and tell our kids, hey kids, I'm auditing. Change your own diaper. Get your own food. Just deal with your own life. I'm, I'm auditing. And for those of you who like to exercise, oh my goodness, you're not auditing your exercise. You are not that creepy person in the gym who never works out but talks to everybody else exercising. That's not you. You're not auditing most of your life. Then Why? When it comes to the most important part of your life, your relationship with Jesus, why would you audit your relationship with Christ? Why would you make obedience optional? Why would you be content to give up during trials? Why would you go through the motions of hearing the word and not doing it? That makes no sense. God has poured out so much love and grace upon you, and he knows exactly what you need. He created you, and he saved you, and yet it makes no sense for you to hear him but not obey him. So here's today. I think today is a day for you to enroll, to enroll in being an all-in follower of Christ, Perhaps you really followed Christ in high school. Maybe in college you were all in following Jesus and you have seriously drifted. And I want to press you and say today is the day to follow Christ again. Receive mercy and grace and follow him. And I know some of you have been here checking out this whole Christianity thing and you're, and you're at that point right now. You're thinking, okay, do I just go through the motions of religion? Is that what it's about? It's not. It's about following Jesus for real. It's about repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus who died for you, rose, and loves you and being an all-in follower. So today is the day of, to leave that worthless, 
auditing mentality behind and be a full-blown follower of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have drifted, who are off, and they're pointing the fingers at different people. They're pointing the fingers at their circumstances. Help them to own their sin so they can get forgiveness for their sin, so they don't have to go through the motions, where they can walk with you and talk with you, and you can encourage them. And I pray for those in here who have, have just have gotten into a habit of just sitting and listening to your word and not doing anything about it. Would you convict them that today is a day to walk in purity. Today is a day to walk in holiness. Today is a day to walk in generosity. Today is a day to walk in love. Today is a day to walk in listening rather than exploding with anger. And as they move out, it's not going to be perfect. Give them more grace. But show them that you have intervened in their life so they can submit their lives to you, the one who loves them. And may we experience that and believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.